This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And the world of TV has continued to get super, super interesting. A lot of stuff going on there. Some really interesting news that um, came out yesterday is that for some reason, and no one's uh, speculating what's going on, Netflix had a rather poor quarter in the USA. With um, l- They lost a little bit of, uh, they had a drop in U.S. customers and much slower internationally. I actually think that this has been a little overhyped. Again, we're moving into the summer months. People are not sitting inside watching TV. Maybe they're saving a few dollars by simply cancelling their subscriptions for the holidays as they travel, as they do whatever they need to do. But um, they signed up around about 2.8 million subscribers internationally for the last trading period. And that was half of what they predicted, which is quite interesting. And they lost 130,000 customers in the U.S. But again, that's a very small percentage of all of them. Obviously, their shares um, slipped a little, around about 13%. But the fact is that the Netflix juggernaut, the Netflix phenomenon has taken the world by storm. Their content scope and scale is just beyond anything. They tend to also, which I found fascinating, buy up content that has ended its run on traditional American TV. So um, all sorts of stuff that has stopped, you know, finished its run, they cancelled it. For example, um, now, would you believe I've just gone blank on some of the names, but a whole lot of series, and then they get re-sort of born on Netflix as Netflix originals, like Lucifer. For example, that's the one I was thinking of. Lucifer ended on sort of CBS and one of the – well, it was actually on ABC, if I can remember correctly. Um, And it ended for whatever reason, and now it's been reborn in a much more edgy way on Netflix. And Netflix have a way of doing this because they've got a much broader global international audience, and they can – can do all sorts of really interesting things. So my opinion that the slowdown is probably a little bit a combination of one, not a lot of blockbusters. Game of Thrones ended on on HBO and sort of brought a bit of a drought of really heavy-hitting products like, for example, The Crown, which did exceptionally well on Netflix, and a whole lot of other stuff did not come out, probably coming out late in the European and American fall, so August, September, give that time frame. So we'll probably see a large increase in, in, in subscriptions. And the benefit of a, of something like Netflix, you're not under contract. You can pay your 7 8 9 $10, 150 170 Rand, whatever it is, for a month, and cancel it for the next month. You're not locked in. And it just continues to grow, which is also interesting because the local Showmax um, equivalent of Netflix has also been growing really well, from what I understand. And their content is becoming more and more uh, interesting, more and more product from a lot of different um, providers. And certainly, they're definitely bringing a lot of interesting product that you just don't see on normal TV. So the combination of Showmax and Netflix, and Showmax haven't put their prices up, which is very interesting, still 99 Rand a month, and free with DSTV premium subscribers. So there's so much to watch. Uh, Obviously, it suits us. It's winter. It's cold. You want to stay home and Netflix or Showmax and chill. But um, unfortunately, there is a little bit of a content drought simply because 
It's summer in the north, and that's where a lot of the content is developed. But Netflix are producing more local content. It's coming soon, and we're going to see more and more of that uh, over the next little while, which is always, always great. But on that note, and this is going to be the big disruptor coming September, and that is Apple TV. Apple TV is going to be Apple's foray into the streaming service um, environment. And they've already started with something that is quite different. If you've got an Apple TV um, box or an Apple TV uh, unit, that's going to update in September to a brand new version of TVOS. And what the betas have shown is that they are now trying to become more of a serious gaming platform. And what they're going to do is support the Xbox and PlayStation controllers because one of the biggest benefits of gaming is the actual controller. If you play any one of these console games, it's really difficult to play unless you've got the proper controller with all the buttons and knobs and the various um, abilities and connections at the back that they, they offer you. If you're trying to play any game with a little remote that comes with Apple TV, uh, it's a complete waste of time. It just does not work. So the Apple TV OS, the new version, which is coming in September as part of the whole Apple TV, and not just the Apple TV unit, but the Apple TV sort of um, ecosystem, let's call it that, is going to be absolutely huge. They're launching Arcade, which will have 100 new games that are going to be exclusive to Apple Arcade. Those will obviously be on your phone, iOS phones, your iPad, and absolutely on your TV. And to play them right, you're going to need all sorts of controllers. So good news for those of you that have an Xbox or a PlayStation at home, as well as an Apple TV. There'll be a whole host of games, some free, some you'll have to subscribe to on Apple TV and as well on your iPhone or or iPad. So there's just tons and tons of um Really interesting stuff coming with multi-user support, personalization, all sorts of really, really interesting stuff on the TV OS, which is coming on the new Apple TV. And the Apple TV itself is going to, is aimed at being a hub for the home for tech. You can connect all sorts of other gadgets and gizmos to it to control your cameras. You name it through, through home on the iOS platform. So more and more, the Apple TV is becoming no longer the lost sort of part of Apple. It's part of the whole ecosystem of what Apple are trying to do. And if you're an Apple fan and you use a lot of Apple equipment, as you know, it just works generally. If you connect Apple stuff to Apple stuff, you have very little hassle getting it all working. So it'll be interesting to try. I can't wait to update my Apple TV, funny enough, to a to the latest TVOS. I haven't gone beta on that. Done it on my phone, running iOS 13. Pretty pretty impressed so far. And um, Apple fans will be very pleased with the new dark mode and all sorts of other little enhancements and and big jump in speed, speed on iOS 13. So round about middle of September, there'll be a big, big update to all the various Apple bits and pieces. And we should see some interesting new capabilities, including the ability to hook up an Xbox controller to your Apple TV and play some real games on your big screen, um, all courtesy of Apple. So we'll be back in a few minutes with a really interesting discussion about human brain interfaces, and that'll be straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And I just, uh, as you do when you... 
waiting for the adverts to go by. You play with Twitter. I just uh, picked up another interesting story regarding the whole Netflix drop. They did increase their prices globally and in the U.S. quite significantly by a couple of dollars per subscription plan in the last quarter, which definitely had an impact on their pricing. Luckily, in South Africa, we did not face any price increases, despite the madness and volatility in the RAN. So there you go. Sometimes we do score, we do score in this country. Now, before I get into the whole brain uh, tech interface and where they're going to implant certain things, and guess who's, you know, made this major announcement in San Francisco yesterday, and that was uh, Elon Musk from Tesla. You thought uh, he only made cars and shot himself into space. Well, he's backing a very interesting company that does brain tech interfaces. But before we get there, I just something that a lot of people have asked me about, and there's a lot of um, concern around the, prof- the privacy, is FaceApp. So if you want to know what you're going to look like when you're really old, try FaceApp. Um, and it it uses AI to change absolutely everything about your looks. You can change your, you can add hair, you can age yourself, you can time travel as they call it. You can do all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's become like a bit of a rage. Everything on Facebook, you're seeing all these young people who are no longer young anymore. There is a little bit of a concern around the whole security and um um maybe what's the privacy around FaceApp. And I would say, you know, like any app, you have to be a little bit, it could be just harmless fun, but there is no question that everything that you do uh, online is kept online. And what hap- and what has transpired is that FaceApp is registered in Russia, and one part of their terms in use, that that data might land up, uh, you know, in the hands of the Russian government. Now, I'm not sure how seriously you take that, but the fact is the amount of data that they are collecting and the scans that it makes of your face and uploads and fiddles around with could be used down the road for all sorts of interesting stuff. So be, be I think, a little aware. Maybe cautious is the wrong word, but be a little bit aware that all these cool apps that go very viral and people tend to use them and, and take pictures of their face and then post them all over the world and on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram, you name it, um, could land up leaving you a little bit exposed for all sorts of information, such as your cookies, log files, all the device uh, identifiers, your location data, and the simple usage data regarding what you're posting up there. So just be a a little aware of what's going on there. And there is a concern that FaceApp is actually somehow because it's given access to your camera roll that it's taking, um, you know, additional pictures. Well, right now the developers have said that that is absolutely 100% not the case. They only upload the photos selected by the user for editing. They never transfer anything else to the cloud. So just because you're going to hear about it, that it's uh, stealing your face, um, it's based in Russia, doesn't mean that there is a problem. But I just think generally be very aware that anything you upload onto the Internet lands up on a server somewhere. It becomes, in many cases, depending on the terms and conditions, the property of that supplier of the service. Because, again, it's an old adage in tech. If you are not paying for a service, you are the service. That is the case with Facebook. You don't pay for it, but they use your data to advertise. And FaceApp, 
Who knows what they going to use your data for? It is a free service. It is super cool to, you know, become a blonde, which you've always wanted to be without any peroxide. Um, grow some hair if you haven't got some, like me. Get a beard. Never been able to do that either. So it's just, it's cool fun. And the, the ability of the AI to modify your pictures is pretty insane. But be aware that uploading your picture leaves it vulnerable to who knows what down the road. So just be a little cautious what you do. Perhaps delete your your uh, account once you've finished having fun. Again, that doesn't mean that your picture will disappear, but it's quite possible that it does. Now, some some healthy fun, even though I noted with alarm that there's a massive cold front hitting Cape Town. This is the tech weather show, but I'll get to why it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for me and anyone else who wants to get out and get healthy this weekend. Fitbit um, and Discovery and Myron have joined forces, and Fitbit has become an official um, sponsor of the Myron, Myron Initiative, which is the Sunday run as opposed to the Saturday run for the park run. I do the park run generally in, in, in my area on a Saturday morning, and occasionally if I miss, I have done a Myron now and then. It's a 5K with a my run is a 5k and 2.5k run, walk, stroll, take the dogs, get out into the fresh air. And as I mentioned, cold front coming. So Sunday morning, this Sunday morning is the launch on the 21st of July of the association between Fitbit and my run. And they are now official partners. And essentially, if you pop, if you pitch to their, um, to their, I'm just trying to remember where the show was. Uh, I'll, I'll, rem- I'll let you know in a few seconds. But if you go and take part in the MyRun, you can go to the MyRun website, myrun.co.za, pick it up. Um, if you go to this event on this Sunday morning, which starts at 8 o'clock, there's going to be all sorts of competitions. You can re- win a whole host of different Fitbit um, watches, Fitbit trackers, and... Um, Get some vitality points as well. So it's uh, out Midrand Way, unfortunately, a little bit far for me. It takes a while to get there. But I will give you the, the details a little bit later as soon as I've picked them up again. For some reason, it didn't come through on my stream here. But um, think about it. It's just worth it. I love the Fitbit. It definitely keeps me going, gets me off the couch, chasing those steps every day. And together with with uh, my run and discovery, getting those extra points, getting those free smoothies if you hit your goals is is just great. And being healthier and getting out in the cold can't wait for that. So it should be great, great fun. But let's move on to what Mr. Musk is on about. Essentially, he is going to link the human brain to artificial intelligence or to a computer. And he spoke at a, a massive presentation in San Francisco in his normal, inimitable, sort of low-key style. But basically, um, what he's announcing is that they have found a way to connect thousands of electric probes that get placed in your uh, brain uh, to a specialized little device which looks like a, a little earpiece, sort of um, hearing aid type thing behind your ear. And that does full wireless machine interface with with all sorts of computers, AI, and um, all sorts of things. And once it's been implemented, the, it's, it's a company called Neuralink. Uh, the electrodes, the, and the actual electrodes themselves, which are thinner than a human hair. 
This has always been the big problem. There has been a lot of research into connecting the brain or, or somehow putting devices in a brain. They've tried it uh, not on humans as yet, though. Uh, Elon Musk is hoping that he'll be able to start human trials as early as next year. But essentially the ability to finally connect the brain to a computer, to machines outside of the, the human body could have some pretty massive implications. Right now, it's not that uh, they're going to you know, take over your head in any which way, but some of the more apparent uh, sort of applications and things that he focused on quite strongly were the medical applications. People that have quadriplegics, people who have paralysis, people who for whatever reason are not able to move or maybe speak, whatever the case may be, could theoretically control machines using some form of uh, advanced intelligence or AI-type capabilities using simply the power of their brains. And these little neural interfaces, these tiny little strings, can read the neurons directly in your brain and send that signal via this little interface, which again is upgradable, um, to a computer and allow people to talk, to uh, interact with all sorts of other things, you know, manage all sorts of different processes and just generally do all manner of complex tasks simply by thinking about them. And I mean, this is absolute science fiction. It's definitely um, something that, you know, you, you read about and see in science fiction movies. But he is working along with a number of, of really serious researchers across America. They're working on very, very uh, advanced technologies that will actually make it very easy. One of the proposals that they're looking at is that it'll be a simple, you don't need massive brain surgery. You can simply pop into a little outpatient um, unit and all these little probes and little sensors will be <clears throat> will be connected into your head using a, a robotic type setup with, with microscopic uh, implementation systems that will not need you to have massive brain surgery. And once they're all connected up to a little wireless pod that's worn behind your ear, you can then connect it to your smartphone. Use your smartphone. Here we go. Smartphones are super powerful, doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. You can then connect it to your smartphone and use your um, smartphone to interface between the various applications and whatever it is that you want to do. So, it opens up a huge amount, something that's actually, interestingly enough, has been spoken a lot on air, the whole human-machine interface. It opens up massive ethical areas, and I think that he's going to run into all sorts of uh, challenges around getting this approved. But there is no question that for many people with challenges like a quadriplegic, the ability to interface and to think about certain things and control machines simply with the power of your mind could be a major, major step forward. And all sorts of other diseases that they was talking about and other neurological complications that could be controlled by direct interface with your brain could literally transform the world of medicine and how we deal with uh, how brains work and our understandings of how brains work. So from a purely medical point of view, it's incredibly fascinating huge amount of science and research going into it. And um, when a person such as Elon Musk, with the resources that he has at his disposal and the profile that he has at his disposal, starts getting behind this type of technology, fully expect to see this go sort of mainstream 
far quicker than anyone could ever imagine. Look, normally the the timing of any medical sort of discovery or any medical trial is years. But still, in the technology world that we live in, these type of things happen really quickly, quicker than any of us could ever imagine. And they certainly do bring the possibility to do full brain-machine interfaces where there can be some sort of symbiosis with AI. Interestingly enough, um, Elon Musk has been a bit of a, a proponent of being careful of artificial intelligence. He maintains that the ability of smart machines growing in complexity and ability and ultimately achieving some form of sentience that is not human, that is not controlled by a standard sort of growth pattern of a human brain and a human person, could be seriously detrimental to the future of humanity and to the future of 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 how our societies operate. He is still chasing the idea of connecting a brain directly to these types of machines. So expect to see a lot more of this type of, of research going on, a lot more with regard to direct control of machines using thoughts. I've seen a lot of external um, sort of caps that people wear that allow that already today. But obviously, once you connect sensors directly into the brain, huge amount of different things could transpire, and it could be completely different with regard to what is possible, what can be done, what can't be done. And um, listen, it's just an area that of technology and sort of biotechnology that is absolutely in its infancy and expect to see more and more of this coming as we move ahead into this crazy world of tech being everywhere and tech being part of everything. So watch the space. Um, Neuralink is, a, is the company. You can watch a presentation, just do a search on YouTube. You can see the whole presentation, get all the, the details of how he's going to connect thousands of electric probes directly to your brain. And, um, all the possible uses of where this will go and what will, will, will come from it. Obviously, the medical and ethical dilemmas will be sorted over a period of time. But still, the next frontier of, of making your, your body, your brain part of the machine certainly um, is moving ahead pretty quickly. Now, we, I just want to do a quick recap. Um, I know that you, my, my listeners, my loyal listeners, the guys who stay tuned, um, heard all about the techno launch that I attended in in India last uh, last week, but just to give a little bit of sort of context to what's going on, and this leads actually perfectly into uh, my gadget of the week, which is a, a new brand new phone from LG that is coming out. In fact, it's out. You can purchase it right now. But techno being focused very strongly on emerging markets, st- focusing very strongly on mid range and inexpensive. Uh, mobile devices with incredibly high specs you know is 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 actually a big deal because the new generation of devices and and to some people 5000 rand is a lot of money for a phone but at least it's four times cheaper than the leading top end phones at between 18 and 25000 rand up to 30000 rand depending some of these phones um and still yet offering all the types of features that people are looking for under screen fingerprint readers, 
lots and lots of memory so you can take high-quality pictures, multiple cameras, time-of-flight cameras, um, depth-sensing cameras, artificial intelligence or machine learning on the camera to give you even better quality pictures. All these and very fast processes, all of these things are now becoming available at prices that I think most people can at least uh, aspire to or attain and, and get involved in. And my experience using two different phones, both that Tecno, the new Phantom 9, and the um, the one I played with last week. Again, I've just had a little blank moment here. I should it was on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, the Hisense device that I played with last week and, and reviewed on air briefly, um, both of those use a very similar chipset, uh, very similar technology. Both of them have very good quality screens and excellent uh, build quality, and yet they have, I would say, 95% of the features of um, the high-end devices that you're paying a fortune for, and not to knock the Samsungs and the LGs and the, the Sonys. Well, LG, again, I've got an interesting uh, take on that, but the the Sonys and the uh, Huaweis out there that are all in the 20,000 Rand range, there's a benefit for that. They are better built. They are glass front and back. They have a lot of little additional features like fast charging and, you know, just general cutting-edge high-end technology and better cameras. No question about that. Also sharper and slightly brighter screens. But essentially, for 25% of cost of those devices, you can now pick up devices that offer the latest operating system, all the little technical gizmos you can imagine, really decent cameras, nice screens at very, very moderate prices. So watch the space. I expect to see more and more of them. My favorite in the mid-range being Nokia also has a whole host of devices. So when you're in the market for a decent quality mid-range phone, you no longer have the compromises that uh, we had to deal with. Poor cameras, poor resolution screens, limited memory, and really slow, can't play a game type processes. All of those days are pretty much gone. So watch the space. I expect the high-end phones to react uh, accordingly and come out with even better, stronger, faster, cooler features. So it's all good in the world of mobile. And the Techno launch absolutely underlined that, that we definitely are operating in a world where you can get unbelievable quality for moderate price, which has always been a sort of promise that technology has offered us. And um, on that note, we'll be back straight after this with my review of my Gadget of the Week and some brilliant new apps that uh, uh, are coming out shortly. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we get into uh, my Gadget of the Week, which is the new LG G8 Think smart device or smartphone or whatever you want to call it, um, I just want to let you know that the Jewish Community Survey of South Africa will be closing next week, which is Thursday, the 25th of July. So this is your last chance to participate and have your say. So go to www.jcssa2019. I'll say that again, jcssa2019.co.za to sign up and uh, help get all this information out there. So for more information, please go to their website, which is the jcssa2019.co.za. You can check them out on, on the Facebook page, which is the same thing. Just do a search for JCSSA. 
SSA 2019 and see what they're up to. So now moving on to, as I've always said, my favorite part of the, uh, the show. I love playing with all these various gadgets and gizmos and I'm super fortunate to get a chance to at least experience a whole host of different smartphones, different tech items, and, um, you know, obviously courtesy of all the various companies who make them available. And it gives you an amazing ability to really get behind some of the, the sort of trends and the tech and what's going on out there, because quite honestly, it can be very confusing. You walk into a smartphone store, there's a whole ton of... Um, product out there. And today, to be blunt, all smartphones look pretty much the same. They're all between five and a half and six and a half inch shiny screens, glass looking or glass front and back, aluminium frames. They all got little notches and and whatnot. Um, So, you know, you name it, they've got it. And um, how do you choose? You can choose by brand, pick a name you know, your mate's got a Huawei, your mate's got a Samsung, or you owned one of those in the past. Well, Apple make it easy. If you're an Apple fan, you always look for the latest Apple, and they tend to keep it fairly simple, and it's a matter of price and, you know, the features that you want. But in the Android world, the choices are huge. There are a number of competing manufacturers. There are a number of brands that some people don't know, and yet they all look as I say, pretty much the same. So what is it that differentiates a really great smartphone from a smartphone that is not perhaps as good? Now, LG have been in the smartphone market for since day dot. I remember their, fondly their mirror phone. They had uh, one, you know, just because there were no selfies around, no selfie cameras at that stage. They made the front screen, the front glass shiny, a mirror, so you could use it as a mirror if you wanted. Ladies loved that, could do some makeup. Who knows what you did with that. But the fact was they even had little mirrors on the back so you could take selfies with a back camera. I mean, the crazy stuff that went on with technology. But LG have been in the game a long time, and I've always been a fan of LG's quality, reliability, and in many ways quality of the of the overall construction in their devices. There's a maturity to their range which often gets overlooked, which is quite sad. I mean, in this mad, mad world where there's so much stuff out there and so much hype, unless you make a lot of noise, it's really, really difficult. Well, they've replaced their LG G7, which was a great device, again, I think a little underrated, uh, with a brand new LG G8. And it's got a couple of really interesting features. The first, and I must tell you, most um, important is that in South Africa, it's being released at round about 11,900 rand, give or take. Just under 12,000 rand. It'll be on all the various packages from the, the various mobile networks. But at 11,900 rand, it has all the same specs as all the latest top-end flagships. It's got the latest um, Snapdragon 855 chipset, which is the fastest and most powerful uh chipset available on any device out there. It's very similar overall to the power that you'll get on the, the Huawei P30 and on the um, Samsung S10 series. So from a, a processor point of view, it comes with 6 gig of RAM, 128, and that's the memory that it uses to run the operating system, and 128 gig of storage, 
for pictures and whatnot, and you can expand it using an SD card, unlike certain other brands out there. Standard SD card, you can pop in and expand it, or double, or more than double, you can put up to 256 gig of additional memory on it. It also, for first time on a, on a G-series phone, has a very, very high quality OLED screen, which um, I'm super impressed with. Slightly higher resolution than even the S10. Though I do think the S10 slightly better in terms of brightness, color accuracy, and just an overall appearance. But this is no slouch. This is an outstanding screen at a, again, around about 30 to 40 percent less than the top flagships. It runs the latest version of Android 9, or of Android being Android 9, and you can get all the gestures and all the, the interesting Android um, features as you can put it back to the normal Android that you're comfortable with, or you can use the gestures, which I'm doing. It has a rather large notch at the top, and this um, sort of uncovers the next sort of little technical thing that uh, the new G8 has got. And it's got an incredibly interesting 3D camera on the front. Now, 3D cameras have been used in phones now mostly for facial recognition. Obviously, helps you um, give... You know, this particular camera is one camera. It's not three like they use on some of the Huawei's and some of the, the Apple iPhones. Um, but it is very interesting for one other reason. It also allows you to control the phone simply by using gestures. So if you put your hand over the phone around about 20 centimeters away and then just pull back, you can play movies, you can turn up the volume, you can do a limited range of, of different features. Now, here, as, as cool as this camera is and as cool as the feature of lying your phone, and it's a real thing. It has a fingerprint sensor on the back. It has complete face unlock. And I must say, this particular camera is incredibly good at picking up your face using glasses, using caps in the dark. It's it's as – in fact, I've, the little that I've been using the G8 now, I found the, the 3D face unlock to be almost as good as um, – the camera that they use on the, I think, the standard setting um, Apple iPhone, the the 10 and the 10s. So really, they've taken it a long way. It's probably one of the slickest uh, face unlock cameras. It, it pretty much works from any angle. It's excellent. So that's the one major thing. But the ability to control it. So often, the biggest problem with face unlock, if you put your phone down on a, on a table and you want to unlock it, you've got to put in a code because your face is nowhere near. And um, who knows what else, you know, and the fingerprint reader's on the rear. So it's got a standard fingerprint reader on the rear where it, it, it fits really well and it also pretty accurate and pretty fast. But the, the benefit of this camera is that it can actually read the veins in your hand. So you could unlock the phone simply by placing your hand over this camera, and it'll unlock reading the veins. And apparently, uh, from what LG tell me, that the the configuration of the veins under your skin in your hand are even more accurate than using your iris So and more secure. So that is one cool feature. I must admit that of all the features, being able to use the g- gestures and that haven't really, it's not really intuitive. 40, 50% of the time it doesn't work or it doesn't work as you anticipate. And it's a little bit too fiddly. So it's a great feature. The, 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 the face unlock camera or the face camera, the 3D camera in the front is pretty good at all sorts of things. So if you ignore that, overall, I must tell you that 
The new G8 is an incredibly solid performer. It has all the features of all the top-end Android phones. It competes in speed with um, the the iOS. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not getting into the whole iOS versus Android thing. But if you're in the market for an Android phone with a top-notch screen, excellent build quality, great battery life. I've been running this thing for a day and a half, and it's just held out there. Voice quality is excellent. The the interface is a slightly tweaked Android interface from uh, LG, but not terribly intrusive. Its cameras are certainly as good. If not, I think the, 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 the S10 and the Huawei has the edge in cameras, but overall excellent camera. The AI works as advertised. And as I said, for the price, it is almost a bargain. It's, they're very few other devices with this level Gorilla Glass front and back with all these features. And um, it, it's just, a, a, I think, a great buy. So check it out if you're in the market for this. Now we have to take a quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with uh, an update to an app that I use globally, and it's really a real lifesaver. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back, my time is running out quite quickly, so I'm just going to do a quick wrap-up of the um, LG G8S. The one thing that in South Africa they have chosen to omit, which for me is a real, well, it's, it's a little sad, is that this particular device no longer has the Hi-Fi quad deck that the G7 and the V40 had. So they've left out the high-end audio, which was only available via a headphone jack. Oh, and the phone does have a headphone jack. And yet, I must say that I've listened um, to the the um, I've listened to music through it, compared it to a G7, compared it to a V40, and it is not as good as the full quad deck implementation. But it's pretty good, and it's as good as any other Android phone that I've used without those features. So it is a negative, and it's a pity they decided, I think, for cost-cutting purposes to keep it out. And that doesn't detract from the overall quality of the phone. The screen, as I said, the OLED screen is excellent. The battery life is fantastic. It uses all the latest components and has more than enough memory to play any game out there. It's a 6.1-inch screen, it, and, and, and really just overall an excellent package at an excellent price, hard to, to, to beat. So you're getting a flagship phone at a somewhat higher-end mid-range price, and all the reliability and quality of LG. My experience, LG phones tend to not bog down and slow down with age. The only real little drawback, they don't update them as quickly as, let's say, uh, Nokia and Samsung have been doing. So on that note, um, I would suggest if you're in the market for a really good quality, solid, reliable, and super speedy device, go and have a look at the new LG G8. It's pretty much available from all the operators right now. It only comes in black in South Africa, which is really attractive, and comes with a cover in the box. A little bit clunky. The cover's a bit big. But overall, a great package at a great price. Now, um, a company that I've mentioned on the show many, many times has emailed me last night with an update or a commercial update to something that I've been using for the last couple of trips that I've been overseas, and that is known as an eSIM. Now, an eSIM is an electronic SIM that you can set up on your device anywhere that you are. You don't need to physically get a SIM, and the eSIMs are available on all the new Apple iPhone uh, 10 
X10S devices, and some Androids, a couple. Alcatel have got one. Um, all the Google phones, the Pixels, have the ability to run eSIMs. And interestingly enough, some of the new iPads have got the same ability as well. And when you travel overseas, one of the biggest challenges that we all have is simply data roaming. To get the odd phone call or to make the odd phone call on roaming is expensive, but it doesn't break the bank. But a two rand a gig and then some, or two rand a meg and then some, 2,000 rand a gig for for data, when you're traveling, it's, it's absolutely prohibitive. So what most people do is they run off and buy a local SIM, which gives them the ability to roam like a local or to, to travel like a local on data. But the challenge that you've got is that your other SIM is no longer active. And the point of having a phone like the XS, XS Max, XR, or the Google Pixel um, is that you can have two SIMs in your phone, one physical and one virtual. And no roaming have launched their data plans, and they're pretty, pretty reasonable. So you, right now it's Europe and the USA. In the next couple of days, they're going to go global. I've been using one of their global SIMs, and it is really simple. You scan a QR code, set it, the phone automatically sets up the SIM and gives it to you as line two. You can then choose that line as the primary data line, leave your current SIM in on data off, voice or SMS roaming only, receive calls, SMSs on your home SIM, and roam in Europe on your eSIM with full 4G capability pretty much everywhere that I've been. And the pricing is really reasonable. You can get a gig of data, which should be fine for the average um, user for $9.99. It's not as cheap as getting a local SIM, but it's much more convenient. And what you can do, you can top it up using the No Roaming app at any point in time. They've also got a 5 gig for 30 days for 39.99, and in the US they've also got uh, 1 gig for 99.99 and also a 5 gig for 30 days. And that should be more than enough. So if you have one of the phones that I've mentioned, mostly the iPhones because the Googles are not available in South Africa, um, go to their website and it's esim.noroaming.co. And uh, check it out. I think you'll be pretty pleasantly surprised. It's seamless. You land. It just connects. It works. You don't have to do any fiddling or setting or anything. It's absolutely brilliant. And on that note, I'm being kicked out of the studio. Our time has run out until same place, same time next week with more tech and more gizmos. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.